Well, so glad that, that you're here as we land the plane on Second Peter, and I do hope that you'll continue to join us next week as we uh, continue the same theme, tough and tender, but look at the, at the letter of Jude. Um, this has been a, a great study in Second Peter. We've spent a total of probably over three hours together on this letter, and if you have missed any message in this series, I do encourage you to go back and listen to it on our YouTube channel, or you can use our brand new app to listen to them as well. And, and then, if you would do this, if you would go back and read through Second Peter this week, maybe even more than once, and kind of put it all back together in your mind and remember what you've been hearing from week to week to week, um, I think this is going to be an enormous blessing to you. And I can, I can almost guarantee this, that when you go back and read it, even though we've spent over three hours in it, you're going to read through it and, and something new is going to strike you as you read God's Word yet again. In fact, probably multiple things. So I'm challenging you to go back and read through Second Peter and let it sink deep into your heart and mind. So I don't think this comes as a surprise to, to most of you, but the, the Corps has a lot of guests that visit here. And, and maybe you're one of them. Maybe this is your first time, or, or maybe, maybe you, you're a repeat guest. You've been here a few times. And, and a lot of the guests that come here, they're not so sure about, about the Christian faith yet. And, and the, you're, maybe you're here because your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend invited you and, and you decided you'd come, um, but, but you're not so sure about, about this whole Jesus thing quite yet, and you're kind of checking it out. Or, or maybe a friend of yours invited you and invited you and invited you and invited you, and finally you gave in, and this is, this is your first Sunday, you finally came, and they promised to give you lunch, brunch afterwards, so, so you decided you'd go ahead and do it, and, and maybe that's your story. Or maybe you're going through something difficult right now. Life threw you a curveball, and you're not quite sure how to handle it, and you're wondering if maybe a church could give you a little bit of insight onto how you're going to cope with that struggle, that difficult thing that just came at you. For whatever reason, if you are new and you are not sure about the Christian faith, I want you to know that we are so happy that you are here. And if right now you're sitting with your arms crossed and you're skeptical, that's perfectly fine. And if I were you, I would be skeptical too and my arms would be crossed. I mean, we could be a cult for all you know. Uh, so you should evaluate carefully. You better listen and, and listen to what we're saying and then don't just swallow it whole. Think about it, take some notes, let it process in your mind. Um, and then reach your conclusions. So please do that, and we are so glad that you're here. Now, what I would like to say, though, is there is something that is very similar between Christians, those who follow Jesus, and those who don't yet follow him. There is something that is extraordinarily similar. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you know, imagine you're at a T-Rat game, and an unexpected downpour starts, have you ever noticed that the rain falls on some, but others miraculously stay dry? Oh, wait, no, that's not how it works. The rain falls on them all. Uh, it falls on everybody, right? If, if there is a Jesus follower in the crowd and the rain starts, they're getting wet too. This isn't really news to you, is it? But have you noticed that in life, that, that the things of this world, the struggles, the hardships that happen in this world they seem to happen pretty evenly to both believers and unbelievers. In fact, I bet we could do a scientific study on that. 
We could interview 100 people, 1,000 people. What struggles have you gone through in the last 10 years? List them out. Do some ratios. Do some comparisons. And I bet we could not figure out, based on the results, who were the Christians and who were not, based on the things they had to deal with, based on the struggles that they had. Suffering, hardships, struggles tend to come pretty equally upon Christians and those that are not. That's a challenge for some, by the way, that might be news to you. Maybe, maybe you came here because of that struggle you're dealing with, and you're thinking, well, if I go to church, God will take it away. And that is a struggle for some Christians. Well, I thought that as a believer in Jesus, God would have more favor on me and take away whatever problem I had. But the evidence indicates otherwise, doesn't it? In fact, just in this last week, um, I, I talked with a, a, a man who is a de- very devout Christian man who's on hospice care. And he's not even 50 yet. And I talked with another young Christian couple who found out the awesome news that they were pregnant with, their, with another child. And then they found out a week or two later that there is a genetic, rare genetic defect and their child is not going to survive. Maybe she'll go full term. It's possible the baby could live up to a year, but it's not going to survive longer than that for sure. And of course, they're devastated. And in, if you are a Christian and you're here today, I bet you've got your story. Talked to another woman a few days ago who's got some unexplained chronic pain that, that the doctors are trying to figure out. They're trying to help her with it. They haven't found anything. It's been quite a while. She still suffers with it. And yet, the suffering continues. So that seems to be the same. If there's no benefit to being a Christian... Because the suffering doesn't go away, why become a Christian? Because there is one enormous difference that is incredibly important. And it's what Peter's been teaching us. And it's in his first letter, and it's all throughout his second letter. And that is that the Christian, the Jesus follower, has a sure and certain hope. When you have hope, that changes everything. Let me give a a silly example. Suppose I said, I want to hire you on. I want you to do a job. It's going to take an enormous amount of mental effort. You're going to have to do a ton of thinking every day. It's going to be a lot of hard work, more than 40 hours a week. You're going to have to pull an all-nighter once in a while. This is a four-year contract, by the way. Uh, How much does it pay? Uh, No, actually, you're going to pay me $30,000 a year. Who wants to to come work for me? What what I actually just described was college. (laughs) And yet, thousands and thousands of people every year start that program where they pay enormous amounts of money to work super hard and go into debt for it oftentimes. Why? Because they have hope. If I go through this four years and I pay out this enormous amount of money and if I work super hard, at the end of it, I'm going to have a great career. I'm going to have a good job for the rest of my life. Because of that hope, they go through those four years, sometimes longer. Right? Hope changes everything. 
So the Christian might be going through the very same suffering that the non-Christian goes through, but the difference is hope. And Peter has been explaining that to us throughout this whole letter so far. And, and the last two Sundays especially, you want to go back and listen to Pastor Bill's sermon and Pastor Tim's sermon, and, and you hear this sure and certain hope that the Christian has that this world and its brokenness, and as crappy as it is, it has an expiration date. It will not go on like this forever. And you, Christian, are going to be rescued from it because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are going to be delivered from this broken world of suffering and pain, and you are going to live forever in paradise with God forever and ever and ever. And this is awesome. And this is what gets us through. This, these are the resources that the Christian has that the person that isn't a believer in Jesus just doesn't have. For the person that thinks that this world is all there is, how do you get through the suffering? I don't know. I don't have any help for you. But I do know that in Jesus, we have the assurance that our sins are forgiven, that we have a connection to God, that our Heavenly Father calls us His children, that He smiles upon us, and that He promises that we will live with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. And that will get you through whatever you have to deal with in this world. And that's what we've been hearing from Peter right up to this point. And so now I envision Peter reading off everything he's written so far, and I see a hand go up in the crowd. Um, Peter? Uh, yes, yes, question. I'm, I'm not done writing yet, but, but yeah, what's your question? Um, yeah, I'm just wondering... I mean, that's all great what you just said, and I'm all on board with that. I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. I know he's going to save me from this world. He's going to deliver me. I have that sure and certain hope. But my question is, uh, what am I supposed to do until then? What do I do now? <laughs> what does my day-to-day -day look like? Because I'm not there yet. So now what? And this is the question that we're going to answer today as we read the last few verses of 2 Peter. And um, here's, here's the question, just to put it in a simple form. You might fill in this blank real quick. Um, so life is a struggle, right? I don't think anybody's going to disagree with me on that. God promises to deliver you from it. That's what we've heard so far from, second, from, from Peter in this second letter. But what do you do meanwhile? What do you do meanwhile? And I, one of my sister, my oldest sister asked me that once. She sent a letter to her three pastor brothers and, and said, okay, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm, I know I'm going to heaven, but why am I still here? Why has God left me here for a while in this broken world? Why would he not just take me straight up into heaven? There is something that God left you here for. And Peter tells us what as we wrap up this letter. So let's take a look at what Peter says here. And we're going to start in chapter uh, 3, verse 14 where he says this. So then, dear friends, let me just pause there. This isn't a great translation where it says friends. If you look at the original Greek, it says beloved. I love that. Peter is writing to brothers and sisters in Christ who he loves dearly and has deep affection for, and, and he is passionate about Jesus and he's passionate about them. He loves them dearly and he has something very important that he wants them to hear and he wants them to remember. So he says, beloved, since you are looking forward to this, the this being what I just shared with you, 
You're looking forward to that eternal paradise in God's presence forever and ever and ever. Because you're looking forward to that, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Okay, so you're, you're still here. You're hanging around here on earth for a while. Am I just supposed to sit here, twiddle my thumbs, look up to the skies, waiting for Jesus? Peter says, what do you do? Live life, he would say first. Live life. There's something for you to be doing. Live, live your life. Don't sit around passively. Don't sit on your hands. Don't just sit around waiting for Jesus to come back. Don't cloister yourself from the rest of the world. Don't be passive, but be active. He said, in fact, he said, remember, make every effort. We are to live our life. Go about our daily routines. Live life. And what does he say about how to live life? He says, live life. Two things. He says, spotless and blameless. Live life spotless and blameless. Um, spotless refers more to your, your character, that it, your character would not be marred. Blameless refers more to your reputation, how people look at you from the outside. Make every effort as you live your, out your life here on earth until you get to heaven to live your life spotless without any kind of blemish and with a blameless reputation among outsiders. That's how Peter says we should live. Spotless is a word that was also used in the Old Testament about the sacrifices that the people were supposed to bring. You know, they'd have to bring a lamb for sacrifice, sometimes an oxen. And God was very specific. When you bring that sacrifice, it should be spotless. Don't bring me your diseased animals. Don't bring me a crippled animal that you were about to put down anyway. Bring a spotless animal for sacrifice. Now, who is supposed to be spotless? Not an animal that we bring for sacrifice, but we, he says, should be spotless and blameless as we await for the Lord's, as we wait for the Lord's return. In, in, in Romans chapter 12, remember how he said that Paul also wrote about these things with wisdom? One of those places was in Romans 12 where Paul said this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of who God is and what he's done for you, in view of his mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Sounds a lot like spotless and blameless, right? Holy and pleasing to God. Offer your whole bodies in sacrifice to God. This is your true and proper worship. And you might want to pause at this point and say, with a little objection, say, spotless and blameless? Can't do that. Haven't ever done that. Don't think I'll ever be able to do that. How can I live spotless and blameless? What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, I want you to remember what God has already declared you to be, what God has already done for you. He has made you in his sight spotless and blameless. And he did it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through, through Jesus' death on the cross, through his perfect life, God credits it to you by faith. Through his, through his death on the cross, he pays your guilt. He takes away your shame. And God declares you from heaven. He declares you because you are in his son, Jesus. He declares you spotless and blameless in his sight. And so when, when Peter says, now, what should you do while you wait? Live spotless and blameless. Live out your life in that way. 
All he's saying is, live as you have been declared. Be who you already are. Live out what you've already become. You see, the Christian life is not for you trying to work and earn and become something you're not. It's you striving to be what God has already declared you to be. Well, pressure's off, right? You're not doing this out of guilt. You're not doing this so that God doesn't crush you. You're not doing this to try to earn something that you don't yet have. You are doing this in celebration, in worship, in praise of what he's already given you. God, you are so good, I'm going to strive to live every day of my life spotless and blameless in the eyes of others to give glory and praise to your holy name. This gives you, dear Christian, a reason to get up every morning. You should be excited when you wake up every day because you have a life to live that gives honor and glory and praise to your God who loves you more than you can possibly imagine. There is nothing that you can do that would make him love you more, and there is nothing you could do that would make him love you less. His love is already yours. It already belongs to you. So we live in perfect freedom to serve him to be spotless and blameless. And that's how Peter encourages us to live. Live life spotless and blameless. The second thing he says is this, live your life at peace. Live your life at peace. What does he mean by that? at peace in him. Um, At peace, does that mean to live at peace with God, to live at peace with our fellow Christians, to live at peace with the world around us, to, to live at peace where I'm just calm in my inner self? D, all of the above. I think that's what it means to live at peace. Um, Knowing what God has done for us, we have peace with God, with others, in ourselves. This peace is a gift from God. In Philippians 4, verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace is yours. It goes beyond any circumstance you can face. It goes beyond any struggle, any pain, any sorrow, any grief. You still have peace with God, no matter what, because of what Jesus did for you. Are you struggling with guilt? That can rob you of peace. You're forgiven. You're at peace with God. Yeah, but what will happen when I die? You're going to heaven. Pastor, you don't know me. I don't need to. I know God's promise. Do you trust Jesus as your Savior? Well, yeah, but stop. You're going to heaven. (laughs) Uh, don't be afraid to die. You're going to be in heaven because, because God said so. Peace, right? Even in the face of death, you have peace. Yeah, yeah, but what about my 401k balance? What about the rising inflation rates? What's going to happen with the economy? Is God still God? Yeah. Does he love you? Jesus proves it. Be at peace. God's got this. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, but what about Russia? Look at the direction our country is taking. What about climate change? Is God in heaven? Is he still God? Does he know you? Is he, over, is he in control over all things? Yes. Be at peace. Enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what God will see when, when Jesus does come again. He will see a, see a people that are at peace. So live life at peace. And then the third thing, live life mindfully. 
mindfully. You remember what we, we read? It said, bear in mind, that sounds like mindful, right? Bear in mind what? That our Lord's patience means salvation. Bear that in mind. Have that in the front of your mind every single day of your life that Jesus hasn't returned yet. Hmm, I wonder why. Because of the Lord's salvation. You see, there are still some more people that haven't been saved yet. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. And if every day you wake up thinking, still no Jesus, it's because of salvation, there are still more people to be saved, I've got something important to do today. There are people in my life that I can love with the love of God. There are people in my life that I can share the truth of God with. Because of salvation, Jesus isn't here yet. I've got work to do today. Be mindful as you wait for Jesus' return. Okay, so we're waiting for Jesus to come back day by day. He continues on. He tells us what else to do as we wait. He says this, verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, guess what the word is there? Beloved. Same word. Therefore, beloved. He loves them dearly. Since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the, of, of the lawless and fall from your secure position. So let's, let's fill in the next blank. Um, today they're pretty easy. I bet you can guess what goes in this blank. Guard your secure position. Guard your secure position. What does he mean by that? Your secure position is that you have complete and total confidence of where you're spending eternity. It is completely secure. Again, because it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on your decision. It doesn't depend on your lifestyle, on, on, your, on your track record. It depends on Jesus' track record, which is confirmed and finished and done and for you. Therefore, your position is secure. You know how you stand with God. You know where you'll spend eternity. But now he says, while you're waiting, watch out. Guard your secure position because what is valuable is often stolen. What is valuable needs to be protected. What is valuable can be destroyed or damaged. And that's where Peter warned us, remember back in chapter 2, all about the false teachers? Remember, and remember in John chapter 17, he talks about that truth that Jesus proclaimed that makes us holy, sets us apart for God. So he says, watch out, watch out, because you don't want to lose what God has given. What is valuable can be stolen or destroyed. Um, the Mona Lisa, obviously one of the most famous paintings in the world, uh, painted by Leonardo da Vinci back in the early 1500s. Uh, you can still see it today. It's on display at the Louvre Museum in Paris. And periodically, it's, people try to steal it or damage it or destroy it or change it. Um, most recent time was uh, in early June, just a, a little over a month ago. Uh, a, a young man dressed up like an old woman in a, in a wheelchair, wheeled right up to the, the barrier, then all of a sudden got up, jumped over the barrier, tried to break the glass that was protecting the Mona Lisa and smeared cake all over it or something, um, all to try draw attention to climate change or something. But the glass held. Zero damage was done. The Mona Lisa was well protected. God would say the same thing, a warning to you. You've got something precious, something valuable, something Satan wants to steal and destroy, something Satan would love to alter. You know, it'd be hard, hard to alter the, the Mona Lisa. You couldn't just 
forge it, swap it, and take it because people have studied it in enormous detail. Every little ancient crack that's on it, the shade of every stroke of the, of, of the brush, it's all well known. It's, it'd be almost impossible to forge the Mona Lisa. How can we guard the faith and stay in our secure position? Know God's word. Study God's word, his word of truth. Know it so well that if Satan would try to alter it in the slightest bit, if he would try to introduce a little false teaching here, something you haven't heard before there, that you would immediately recognize, that's a forgery. That's a distortion. That's not what God says in his word. You guard your secure position as you stay in the word and study it and know it better and better and better. And then there's a third thing he says that we do as we wait for Jesus' return. In verse 18, he says, But grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Okay, so guess what goes in the next blank? <laughs> grow. Grow in grace and knowledge. Perhaps you remember back a few weeks ago, uh, I had a picture up on screen of a couple of jade plants. Both jade plants, both, in fact, they're, they were related to each other even. Uh, one was four inches tall. The other had turned into a small tree. It had grown. And this is what Peter is encouraging you to do, to continue to grow in grace. Does that sound familiar to you? It's because that's how he started the letter. This is kind of like brackets to 2 Peter. When you read it later, you're going to discover this again for yourself. But back in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said something very similar. He said, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God. And there he, then he says here, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He ends it where he started it. Grow in grace and knowledge. What is grace? Now, my, my favorite definition for grace is God's undeserved loving kindness. Undeserved, we shouldn't get it. We've sinned, we've rebelled, we've done wrong, and yet he gives it. Loving kindness, I like that part of it because it's not just undeserved love, because the way we use love in our culture today is largely an emotion or a feeling, but loving kindness relates what grace really is. It's God, God's love in action for you. His undeserved loving kindness for you is what grace is all about. Even though we didn't earn it, even though we didn't deserve it, he took our guilt away. The never-ending, endless love of God. I'm stealing some lyrics from a song we sing. That's what grace is. And we need to be growing in that grace all the time. Growing in our knowledge of it. Growing in our appreciation of it. Re reviewing it. Because we have bad memories. I, I don't know what this is. It's almost a supernatural thing that we have this tendency to forget God's undeserved loving kindness. We have this tendency to start shifting trust and reliance on him and what Jesus did for us, and we start to shift it toward us and what I can do and who I am and what a, what a good person I am and how hard I try. And, oh, and, and then we can even put our trust in things like going to church and reading my Bible. Surely God is impressed with me because of what I do, and we've shifted our emphasis completely from grace. 
Come to church, be in the word, but not to feel self-confident, but to be Christ-confident so that you rely upon him more and more and more, so that you appreciate and love him even more for the grace, the undeserved loving kindness that is yours in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to constantly remember our brokenness and God's goodness. We need to constantly go back to the cross, unload our guilt and shame. Remember, it's healthy to do this. Remember who you really are. Remember what you've done. Remember, apart from God and his work in you, what would happen, who you, who you would be. Acknowledge that every day. Bring that to God. But don't stop there. Then go back to the grace. And remember who God made you in Jesus. The forgiveness that is yours. The price that he paid that proves his unending love for you. That's amazing grace. How, how do you keep growing in this grace? We, we say this a lot, but I'll say it one more time. We've got, we've got a discipleship system here that we call the five roots. We want you to grow in each of those five roots. Each one starts with the letter G. You can look at it on your communication card on the backside on the bottom. We've got those five Gs listed out. It's in a mural out there in the lobby if you want to go look at it again. But the, have, a, have an intentional plan for each one of those five areas, and I am confident that you will grow in grace and knowledge. Gather, worship as God's people together regularly. Group, hang out together, do life together with fellow Christians. It's vitally important. Grow in your home, in the word, in prayer every single day. Give. Now we're getting into the exercising your faith. Be generous, an attitude of generosity in every aspect of your life, with your time, with your resources. Be generous, give, and you're going to see your faith exercised, worked out, growing. And go is the fifth one, where you go and invite your friends and family, the people that you know that don't go, that don't know Jesus, you invite them to come into this relationship with God that you already know, and that strengthens, exercises your faith as well. With each one of these five roots, I am confident that you will continue to grow in grace and knowledge. And so we wrap up this letter, um, Peter's second letter that he wrote to this group of Christians. And in a sense, this is his last will and testament. And again, remember, he, he knows his life is coming to an end. This is how he concludes his last will and testament with these words that we just heard. This is what Peter wants to be his legacy. His legacy was not that we would remember him, the disciple of Jesus, but that as we remember Peter, we remember Jesus, and that he would direct our thoughts and our minds and our hearts to Jesus, to the grace of God that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we conclude this, this, uh, this letter, Maybe I could encourage you to do the same thing. Would you give some thought this week to your legacy? It's a little bit hard to do, right? What do you want people to remember about you? What do you want people to be thinking or saying when they're gathered at your casket, at your funeral? What legacy will you leave? Will they be talking about your career? The business you started? Will they be talking about your bank account and all the money you left? 
I pray that that's not my legacy. I pray that when someday, when I leave this earth, that people will remember what I taught them about Jesus. That that will be the focus. And that's my prayer for you as well. What will, having studied Second Peter, are there any changes that you want to start making? Let me make this practical. What would it look like for you to change your legacy so it looked like Peter's legacy? What would it take so that people would say of you, that was a person that reminded me of Jesus in their actions and in their words? That is a person, when I think of them, I remember the grace of God and how that was the focus and priority of their life. I'm convinced that in eternity, there are biographies we're going to read, but they're all going to be biographies about the saints. Oh, by the way, that's you. It'll be biographies about the lives that we lived, the glory of God, and the words that we shared to the truth about the truth of God, to lead people to God, to give more glory to his name. And it's kind of like the snowball. This is the way God wants, wants it to work. This ever-increasing appreciation of God and his grace and what he did for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will that be your legacy? My, my hope and my prayer is that is that your life will lead people to praise God. And so that the very last words of Peter's letter will be in the hearts and lips and minds of those who know you. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there is uh, a lot of struggle, a lot of suffering in this world. And yet we are so thankful to you that you have given us hope. This world is not the final word. There is something after this. And you have promised that we will be there in paradise with you, seeing you face to face, face to face, and that you will be beaming. You will be smiling upon us uh, with, with, uh, with loving arms, all because of Jesus. And this is the future that awaits us. This is our secure position, and we thank you for it. But Lord, you've left us here for a while longer. I don't know how long. Uh, days, years, decades. It's time limited. We're not going to be here forever. So what should we do? Lord, help us to watch how we live, to give glory to you with a spotless and blameless life. Lord, help us to uh, focus on you, know you even better, know your grace and truth. Lord, give us confidence and boldness to speak and invite and share your word of truth with others. Lord, through everything that we think and say and do, help us to make the most of every day, every opportunity, so that we can give glory and honor and praise to you both now and forever. In the name of Jesus, amen.